Chapter Five of the Autobiography of a Slander by Edna Lyall. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. My Fifth Stage. Also, it is not wise to believe everything you hear, not immediately to carry to the ears of others what you have either heard or believed. Thomas A. Kempis. Though I was read in silence at the breakfast-table, and not passed on to the archdeacon, I lay dormant in Mrs. Selden's mind all day, and came to her aid that night when she was at her wit's end for something to talk about. Mrs. Selden, though a most worthy and estimable person, was of a phlegmatic temperament. Her sympathies were not easily aroused. Her mind was lazy and torpid in conversation she was unutterably dull there were times when she was painfully conscious of this and would have given much for the ceaseless flow of words which fell from the lips of her friend mrs milton cleave and that evening after my arrival chanced to be one of these occasions for there was a dinner-party at the archdeaconry given in honour of a well-known author who was spending a few days in the neighbourhood "'I wish you could have Mr. Shrewsbury at your end of the table, Thomas,' Mrs. Selden had remarked to her husband with a sigh, as she was arranging the guests on paper that afternoon. "'Oh, he must certainly take you in, my dear,' said the archdeacon. "'And he seems a very clever, well-read man. I'm sure you will find him easy to talk to.' Poor Mrs. Selden thought that she would rather have had someone who was neither clever nor well-read but there was no help for her, and whether she would or not, she had to go in to dinner with the literary lion. Mr. Mark Shrewsbury was a novelist of great ability. Some twenty years before he had been called to the bar, and conscious of real talent, had been greatly embittered by the impossibility of getting on in his profession. At length, in disgust, he gave up all hopes of success, and devoted himself instead to literature. In this field he won the recognition for which he craved. His books were read everywhere, his name became famous, his income steadily increased, and he had the pleasant consciousness that he had found his vocation. Still, in spite of his success, he could not forget the bitter years of failure and disappointment which had gone before and though his novels were full of genius, they were pervaded by an undertone of sarcasm, so that people after reading them were more ready than before to take cynical views of life. He was one of those men whose quiet and passive faces reveal scarcely anything of their character. He was neither tall nor short, neither dark nor fair, neither handsome nor the reverse. In fact his personality was not in the least impressive while, like most true artists, he observed all things so quietly that you rarely discovered that he was observing at all. "'Dear me,' people would say, "'is Mark Shrewsbury really here? Which is he? I don't see anyone at all like my idea of a novelist.' "'There he is, the man in spectacles,' would be the reply. And really the spectacles were the only noteworthy thing about him. Mrs. Selden, who had seen several authors and authoresses in her time, and knew that they were, as a rule, most ordinary, humdrum kind of people, was quite prepared for her fate. She remembered her astonishment as a girl, when having laughed and cried at the play, 
and taken the chief actor as her ideal hero she had had him pointed out to her one day in regent street and found him to be a most commonplace-looking man the very last person one would have supposed capable of stirring the hearts of a great audience meanwhile dinner progressed and mrs selden talked to an empty-headed but loquacious man on her left and racked her brains for something to say to the alarmingly silent author on her right she remembered hearing that charles dickens would often sit silent through the whole of dinner observing quietly those about him but that at dessert he would suddenly come to life and keep the whole table in roars of laughter she feared that mr shrewsbury meant to imitate the great novelist in the first particular but was scarcely likely to follow his example in the last at length she asked him what he thought of the cathedral and a few tepid remarks followed how unutterably this good lady bores me thought the author how odd it is that his characters talk so well in his books and that he is such a stick thought mrs selden i suppose it's the effect of cathedral town atmosphere reflected the author i suppose he is eaten up with conceit and won't trouble himself to talk to me thought the hostess by the time the fish had been removed they had arrived at a state of mutual contempt mindful of the reputation they had to keep up however they exerted themselves a little more while the entrees went round seldom reads i should fancy and never thinks reflected the author glancing at mrs selden's placid unintellectual face what on earth can i say to her very unpractical i am sure reflected mrs selden the sort of man who lives in a world of his own and only lays down his pen to take up a book what subject shall i start what delightful weather we have been having the last few days observed the author real genuine summer weather at last the same remark had been trembling on mrs selden's lips she assented with great cheerfulness and alacrity and over that invaluable topic which is always so safe and so congenial and so ready at hand they grew quite friendly and the conversation for fully five minutes was animated an interval of thought followed how wearisome is society reflected mrs selden it is hard that we must spend so much money in giving dinners and having so much trouble for so little enjoyment one pays dearly for fame reflected the author what a confounded nuisance it is to waste all this time when there are the last proofs of what cast to be done for the nine o'clock post to-morrow morning goodness knows what time i shall get to bed to-night then mrs selden thought regretfully of the comfortable easy chair that she usually enjoyed after dinner and the ten minutes nap and the congenial needlework and mark shrewsbury thought of his chambers in pump court and longed for his typewriter and his books and his swivel chair and his favorite meerschaum i should be less afraid to talk if there were not always the horrible idea that he may take down what one says thought mrs selden i should be less bored if she would only be her natural self reflected the author and would not talk prim platitudes this was hard for he had talked nothing else himself does she think she is so interesting that i am likely to study her for my next book 
"'Have you been abroad this summer?' inquired Mrs. Selden, making another spasmatic attempt at conversation. "'No, I detest travelling,' replied Mark Shrewsbury. "'When I need change I just settle down in some quiet country district for a few months, somewhere near Windsor or Reigate or Muddleton. There is nothing to my mind like our English scenery.' "'Oh, do you know Muddleton?' exclaimed Mrs. Selden. "'Is it not a charming little place? I often stay in the neighbourhood with the Milton Cleves.' "'I know Milton Cleve well,' said the author. "'A capital fellow, quite the typical country gentleman.' "'Is he not?' said Mrs. Selden, much relieved to have found this subject in common. His wife is a great friend of mine. She is full of life and energy and does an immense amount of good. Did you say you had stayed with them? No, but just last year I took a house in that neighborhood for a few months. A most charming little place it was, just fit for a lonely bachelor. I dare say you remember it. Ivy Cottage, on the Newton Road. Did you stay there? Now what a curious coincidence! Only this morning I heard from Mrs. Milton Cleave that Ivy Cottage had been taken this summer by a Mr. Sigismund Zaluski, a Polish merchant who is doing untold harm in the neighborhood. He is a very clever, unscrupulous man, and has managed to take in almost everyone. Why, what is he, a swindler, or a burglar in disguise, like the house on the marsh fellow? asked the author, with a little twinkle of amusement in his face. "'Oh, much worse than that,' said Mrs. Selden, lowering her voice. "'I assure you, Mr. Shrewsbury, you would hardly credit the story if I were to tell it you. It is really stranger than fiction.' Mark Shrewsbury pricked up his ears. He no longer felt bored. He began to think that, after all, there might be some compensation for this wearisome dinner-party. He was always glad to seize upon material for future plots, and somehow the notion of a mysterious Pole suddenly making his appearance in that quiet country neighborhood, and winning undeserved popularity, rather took his fancy. He thought he might make something of it. However, he knew human nature too well to ask a direct question. "'I'm sorry to hear that,' he said becoming all at once quite sympathetic and approachable. I don't like the thought of those simple, unsophisticated people being hoodwinked by a scoundrel. No, is it not sad, said Mrs. Selden, such pleasant, hospitable people as they are. Do you remember the Morleys? Oh, yes, there was a pretty daughter who played tennis well. Quite so, Gertrude Morley. Well, would you believe it? This miserable fortune-hunter is actually either engaged to her, or on the eve of being engaged. Poor Mrs. Milton Cleave is so unhappy about it, for she knows, on the best authority, that Mr. Zaluski is unfit to enter a respectable house. Perhaps he is really some escaped criminal, suggested Mr. Shrewsbury, tentatively. Mrs. Selden hesitated. Then, under the cover of the general roar of conversation, she said in a low voice, "'You have guessed quite rightly. He is one of the nihilists who were concerned in the assassination of the late Tsar. 
"'You don't say so!' exclaimed Mark Shrewsbury, much startled. "'Is it possible?' "'Indeed it is only too true,' said Mrs. Selden. "'I heard it only the other morning, and on the very best authority. "'Poor Gertrude Morley! My heart bleeds for her!' now i can't help observing here that this must have been the merest figure of speech for just then there was a comfortable little glow of satisfaction about mrs selden's heart she was so delighted to have got on well as she expressed it with the literary lion and by this time dessert was on the table and soon the tedious ceremony would be happily over but how did he escape asked mark shrewsbury still with the thought of copy in his mind i don't know the details said mrs selden probably they are only known to himself but he managed to escape somehow in the month of march eighteen eighty one and to reach england safely i fear it is only too often the case in this world wickedness is apt to be successful to flourish like a green bay tree said mark shrewsbury congratulating himself on the aptness of the quotation and its suitability to the archdeaconal dinner-table. "'It is the strangest story I have heard for a long time.' Just then there was a pause in the general conversation, and Mrs. Selden took advantage of it to make the sign for rising, so that no more passed with regard to Zalewski. Shrewsbury, flattering himself that he had left a good impression by his last remark, thought better not to efface it later in the evening by any other conversation with his hostess. But in the small hours of the night, when he had finished his bundle of proofs, he took up his notebook, and strangling his yawns, made two or three brief, pithy notes of the story Mrs. Selden had told him, adding a further development which occurred to him, and wondering to himself whether, like a green bay tree, would be a selling title. After this he went to bed, and slept the sleep of the just, or the unbroken sleep which goes by that name. End of my fifth stage. Recording by Rhonda Fetterman.